All right, this morning we'll be in Proverbs 19, and we'll finish that up today. If you'll join me in prayer, Lord, we thank you for this morning and the opportunity to praise you and worship you and get together, um, not forsaking the assembling, uh, but coming together. Uh, lots of reasons not to come today, God, but we, we love you, and uh, we, we want to spend this time with you and with each other. And uh, We know that's for our growth, for our benefit, and, and also it just brings us joy. And so we pray that as we sit at your feet this morning and your Holy Spirit teaches us by your word, that we'd receive everything you have for us, that we wouldn't stop listening as is discussed in this proverb, Lord, that we wouldn't walk away from your wisdom, uh, that we continue to learn in Jesus' name. Amen. Ironically, in this last section of chapter 19 of Proverbs, um, remember Solomon is the writer here. He's writing this wisdom to his son. And he's actually going to say in here, uh, you know, don't walk away from this, you know, from hearing, from listening. Don't walk away from God's voice or the wisdom that comes from God, which is exactly what he does uh, later on in his life. Solomon doesn't follow his own advice. So that being said, that can happen to any one of us. Um, there is a... Uh, our, I don't know how to word this exactly. Um, if we're not diligent, it's like our default is to walk away. If we're not diligent to stay and put ourselves um, deliberately in God's presence, because we have to, you have to deliberately decide to do that. It's so easy to, to just not, to walk away, to, to pick it up only when desperate times hit or when you feel super stuck and your own intellect can't get you through the problem anymore, um, as opposed to being in that constant place of hearing from God. Um, I get some flack sometimes about, uh, not from most, but a few. I get flack about when I talk about praying about things. You need to pray about that. You need to seek the Lord about that. And, and for the most part, everybody in the room agrees, yes, there are times when you should pray about things. But what I get flack about is, really, to that degree, I mean about everything, I mean about all the time, I mean aren't there some things that we can handle on our own, and that's the kind of feedback. And I, and I, and I understand that. I, I, I don't decide whether, I'm, I mean, I'm going to choose whether, I didn't pray about whether I'm going to take a drink. I just did, and I'm okay. Toby didn't poison me, so thank you, Toby, for the fresh, clean water. But it could have been if I had prayed about it. I don't know. I understand their thoughts, but I want you to see how God, and this is important because we want to go to Scripture, not off of my opinion. How did God set up the nation of Israel when he brought them out of Egypt? Remember, I'm making you a nation. Remember, there were only 70 people, a family, that went into Egypt, and I'm going to create a nation out of you. So it's brand new. Now, they've never been a nation before. They've never had governments. They've never had leadership, authority, any kind of rules of law. It's just been whatever Jake says, you know, dad. He's been the boss. Well, Jake's long gone, and there's a million plus people that leave Egypt. They've become a nation. And so God sets it up. He says, this is what it looks like to be governed by me. And he sets up a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke to lead them and guide them every day. Fine. That's fine when we're traveling, but when we're not traveling, what happens? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to set up a tabernacle right here 
and I'm going to rest my Shekinah glory. My glory will rest upon that mercy seat and I will fill that place and you will camp around me. In all four directions, you're going to camp around me to the north, to the south, to the east and the west. I am the center of your camp because I want everybody to remember what Barak saw when he looked down you know, or Balaam, when he looked down upon and he's trying to curse the nation of Israel, what he saw from up high was this tabernacle, Shekinah glory in the nation of Israel being governed by God. He saw that and all he could do was pronounce blessing upon them. Our lives are still supposed to be like that. God is not someone that we bring alongside and drag him along like a wagon in our caravan. First of all, he's supposed to be out front when we move. We're supposed to follow him and he's to be our leader, but he's also to be the center of our house, the center of our home, the center of our lives, no matter what. So maybe the guys in the tents didn't pray every day as they're doing, going about their business. There's the Shekinah glory. There it is. There's the smoke in the middle of the tent. But I tell you what, every business transaction out of the corner of their eye, they're watching. I'm being watched by God. They always knew that God's presence was with them. They were never without the guidance of God in everything they did. If they were going to lie, if they were going to do a a, a bad deal with somebody who was a relative or something, they knew that they were being witnessed. It was being witnessed by God. That's what I mean by that. Pray about everything. Make sure out of the corner of your eye and in everything that you do, you feel the presence of God, whether that's in your marriage or raising of your kids or in your job or whatever. And so as we go through this, Solomon is going to state that as he's teaching his son, but Solomon is not going to follow it. And we can, if we're not deliberate about our walk with the Lord, can fall into the same problems that Solomon did and end up with so much regret. Okay, verse 19 is where we pick up our story today. A man of great wrath will suffer punishment, for if you rescue him, you will have to do it again. Um, controlling our anger is one of the most important things that we, and I usually as men, and I don't want to be sexist about it, women can be wicked too, I, I've seen it, but not in Jenny. Jenny's never, not like that at all. She's always had control. Um, but I've, you know, you've seen you know, in both sexes, it makes no difference. Um, but most of the time when someone is known by their anger, they're known by everybody around them walks on eggshells. That's how you know that you're around a person that doesn't have control of their anger. You are on edge around them all the time, plain and simple. And when you feel that on edge, that's something you need to pray for. It's not normal to be on edge all the time around people that are like that. That's, a, that's an anger problem that they have. And the anger problem isn't that the world is so stupid which is what they'll say. The circumstances just dictate anger in my life. No, it's, it's more about them. It's what they're carrying around in them. And so (laughs) he doesn't have a, a lot of hope for them. He's just telling his son, it's maybe when you punish these people that are full of anger and wrath all the time, maybe they can learn something there, but it's their problem. It's something they need to deal with. Part of the fruit of having Christ come into your life is to overlook a matter, is to not go red hot, is to not be so influenced by what other people do in that way. That's a bad thing. And and Christ wants to take that away. Well, that's just how he made me. I'm Irish, you might say, you know. Well, no, 
you're not. You're a citizen of heaven now. You're no longer Irish. You're a citizen of heaven. Irish uh, blood flowing through you is secondary now to the blood of Christ. And so you need to be conformed into his image, you know, and so on. So, and if you have red hair, no excuses if you've got red hair. I don't know who's got red hair. I can't see, but that's not an excuse. So control that wrath. Learn that. A person's anger has more to do with what's inside of them than the circumstances that they blame for their anger. Verse 20. Listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. It isn't until later that you realize you haven't been listening. (laughs) The fruit comes much later. When you stop listening to wisdom, you probably won't feel the effects of it for years. But all of a sudden, here it comes. Like, how, how come things were going so great? Well, you were coasting for a very long time because you stopped listening to wisdom oh, years ago, and now here's the fruit of it. It's planting seeds. It's, uh, one of the things in Scripture that, that is repeated from Genesis to Revelation is the idea that there's a law in, at work, and it is whatever you sow, you will reap that. Make no mistake about it, that's a law of God. So though I sowed sin seeds years ago, but never saw the fruit of it, believe me, they've germinated, they're bearing root, and give it time. You will bear fruit. So the idea is, I don't know what I can do about the past sin seeds, except for plead the blood of Jesus over your life, and ask him to forgive you for your sins, and to protect you from the stupidity of your past. You still may reap the fruit of it. The point is, stop planting the sin seeds. Start planting the good seeds that God calls us to so that you can, and that fruit won't produce till later on either. See, some people are reaping a crop of sin (laughs) that they sowed years ago, and so they run to God. They say, God, help, and he didn't help them immediately. I stopped sinning yesterday. Where's the fruit? You know, no, no, no. It's a a farm. (laughs) Your life, your heart is a farm. And you just stopped planting weed seeds. You just planted your corn crop. You have got to cultivate it. You've got to fertilize it. You've got to let the sun, the rain fall upon it before you get the fruit of that. You need to be as patient with your righteousness crop that you've plotted and planted, you know, as you do with the, as, it, as, it, as long as it took that sin to produce your life. You got to give it time, you know, give it time to bear fruit and then stay consistent You know, everybody knows what a garden in July looks like versus a garden in August. (laughs) It's a big difference, isn't there? It's like, where do these weeds come from? Well, in June and July, you're out there every day. You know, and then you got to go weed, you know, and you let it go a few days and you go back out there and it's an Amazon jungle out there. You don't know what happened. That's the same thing with our lives. It takes diligence. Our default is a weed farm as Christians, as believers. Um, That's what happens when we're not putting ourselves in the place of God and listening to his wisdom and applying that in continual. It takes that maintenance. So listen to counsel and receive instruction that you may be wise in your latter days. Verse 21, there are many plans in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the Lord's counsel, that will stand. That's what sticks around. Um, In James chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, James says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will uh, uh, go to such and such a city and spend a year there, buy and sell and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. 
Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. We've got lots of plans, and, and, but we need to pray about those and leave room for God to do what he wants to do in our lives. You know, uh, We get so disappointed when our expectations aren't met. But that's nobody's fault but our own. We put those expectations on God, and those aren't his expectations. Those were ours. And so when he doesn't do what we thought he was going to do or in the timing that he thought he was going to do it, we feel betrayed. He hasn't done anything wrong. Did he ever promise that, the timing and all? You look at all the, the saints of old who had to wait on the Lord, you know, 20 years for, for Isaac and and, and, and so on. There's, there's multiple people like that that had to wait. And they got tired of waiting, a lot of these folks. And that's where Hagar comes in with, with Abraham and Hagar. And, and, and here comes Ishmael, not the son of promise, but the son of the flesh, the son of the works of man, trying to fulfill the works of God. And it, it was not interchangeable. It didn't work. He says, no, I'm going to let Ishmael live, and, and that's fine. He's, I'm going to bless him, but that's not who I was talking about. Isaac is. Isaac is the one. Isaac is the promise. that, And we have those same promises from God. Don't be in a hurry. We don't want to put those expectations. God says we're going to have a baby. We're going to have a baby. I don't know when. He's going to give it to us when it's his time. And then we avoid so much hassle. I mean, has Ishmael not brought hassle upon this world? We're still dealing with that sin, with that hurry, with that work of the flesh. It's still competing with the work of the Spirit. Um, So much so that even the New Testament says this is what it's like. Your flesh and the Spirit warring is the same thing. You can see it physically in Ishmael and in Isaac. So um, James just says, you know, that's fine. Make your plans, but you need to say at the end of those plans, if the Lord wills. It may not be God's will that that take place. That's my plan. That's my idea. In Proverbs 16, 9, we've already discussed this. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Nothing wrong with plans. I'm all for planning, but I'm also very open to God's changing of my plans. I think that's important. Um, You'll be mocked for this, by the way. I alluded to that in the beginning of the message here before I started. Number one, you'll be mocked for your dependence upon God. People won't understand that. People don't want to hear that, uh, well, I need to seek the Lord on that matter. They want an answer now, and the fact that you can't give them an answer now is weakness as far as they're concerned. So your dependence upon God in your life as a Christian, you'll get mocked for that. So plan on that. You'll be mocked for crediting God for solutions, for the answers. I was listening to a podcast, um, one that I like a lot. I, I'll try not to promote it because he's a new believer and, uh, and, uh, and a great guy to listen to. But he had a guy come on recently, and it's, I, I have the, I'm a Patreon, so I get, I, get the, uh, I get the before. It actually gets released. And uh, so I've listened to it, and this guy's coming on. He's a special forces guy. He says, I don't know what it is. He says, that day I could see better. I could hear better. Everything was just smooth. It was liquid, you know. And he credited it to God. And so did the interviewer. They said, yep, that's what we mean. When we're in special forces, we say doing God's will. Because in the process of taking out these terrorists, he saved like 700 people, 700 lives that day by taking out these 12. By himself, he says, everything was clear. I was like 
just sharp, you know. Here's the thing, here's the point. He was crediting God without saying it too loudly, but he was saying, yep, I've, never, I've, I've kicked open the doors, over 200 missions of door-kicking missions. This one was completely different than all others. I was liquid, is how he described it, okay? In the comments, okay, from this podcast, because everybody knows, anybody, you know, any believer goes, yep, yep, that's the Lord. His hand was upon you, just like Jonathan, just like guys we've read about in the Bible. Of course, there's unbelievers in the comments too. And they said, this guy did nothing more than what he was trained to do, you weirdos. And that's fine. That's one in a thousand comments. Everybody's like, yeah, you don't even, you know, we'll pray for you, buddy. You'll get mocked for your dependence. You'll also get mocked for crediting God in your life. You will. The world will not understand that you say, no, this is the blessing of God upon my life. They're like, no, that's you. You you did this. You did it. No, 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 no. Be careful about that. Be careful about that. And finally, number three, you'll be mocked by lives filled with disaster and failures. It's interesting. The people that mock you and your devotion to God, your dependence upon God, you're giving God credit, and you look at their lives in comparison to yours, and you're like, you're full of disaster and failure because you live your life the way you want to live it according to you. I am the captain of my own ship, you say, you know, and you're a disaster. You're a walking disaster. Can't you see that you need the blessing of God in your life? It'll be evident when you see that. And it's frustrating, you know, um, the critics that come out of the woodwork and say, you know, you really ought to be doing this and that. I'm like, how's your third marriage? You know, you're giving me marriage advice. Are you kidding me? You know, or your kids ought to do this. Your kids ought to do that. Really? How are your kids doing? You know, when you walk with the Lord, when you're walking with the Lord, you'll get all three of these. Don't move from him. The world will never understand. They'll never be on board with that. Um, that is not who we're seeking the approval of in the first place. And that's not why God is blessing you. The testimony is clear, but the fool will deny it. And there's nothing you can do about their hearts. Just continue. Verse 22. What is desired in a man is kindness. And a poor man is better than a liar. Well, I agree with that. Here's what I noted about this. I love kindness. It's the loving kindness of Christ that leads men to repentance. We know the verse. We also know that Jesus made a whip of cords and drove everybody out of their temple at one point too. Okay. So it's interesting how he words this. The loving kindness of Christ is what other people want from you. That's what they desire from you. It isn't the most important virtue though. The most important virtue is truth. Kindness is wonderful. And if you can have kindness and truth at the same time, that's, that's wonderful. But you never, you never sacrifice truth for kindness, ever. It's not important. It's not nearly as important. I can share the love of Christ, the truth of Christ, um, with kindness. But that's how I got saved. I, my friend had to move from that kind invitation, come to Christ, come to church, to a, a swift kick in the head is what it took for me. He switched real quick, sitting on the bed. He got angry with me. 
because my arguments were stupid and foolish and I wasn't listening and his kindness wasn't breaking through. So he talked to me like I needed to be talked to. You see, there are times when you see these prophets, you brood of vipers, you know. We've been telling these beautiful stories about what God has done in people's lives and you're over here still mocking, you brood of vipers. It switches, you see. And so that's important. What is desired? What do people want from you? They do want kindness, and we can give it to them if we can give it to them, but never at the expense of the truth, which is a far more important virtue. And a poor man is better than a liar. Yeah, I'd rather have a poor truth teller than than a lying rich person. So any day. Verse 23, the fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction he will not be visited with evil. That fear of the Lord. Um, let's see if I, 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 I pulled a quote from, a, from a, a, a commentator, and I like the way he explained it. We should begin with this. This is what the fear of the Lord is. Everybody wonders what it is. I like the way he put it. We begin our lives, we begin our walk with the Lord with this. Honor, reverent awe, and submission to God. That's the fear of the Lord. Okay, Having that honor, understanding who he is. That reverent awe and that submission to God is walking in the fear of the Lord. You put him above yourself. You, you have him higher than yourself. And that beginning, that submission to God, living a life of piety, God provides a quality of life uninterrupted by evil. I like the way that's worded. That, that life of piety, which is honor, reverent awe, and submission to God, living that life provides a quality of life. It increases the quality of your walk. In this world, flat out, that, that fear of the Lord that most people in this world who haven't experienced it or don't understand what it is, that fear of the Lord to them seems like it just brings misery. You're always talking about your sin. You're always talking about your failure. You're always talking, well, sort of, but I also have a peace that surpasses understanding. I have a joy that's not dependent upon my circumstances. It's not happiness. It's absolute joy. I have a quality have a quality of life that the people, they don't understand. A worldly person can't grasp their walk, whether they acknowledge it or not. A worldly person's life is so superficial. It's so dependent upon aches or pains or condition of the mind or whatever it is. There's, there's no stability. They are victims of whatever their flesh tells them. They're just victims. They go along for the ride as their flesh feels good or their flesh feels bad or whatever it is, and they're on this roller coaster. And a person who walks in the Spirit has just this wonderful quality of life. It's just a a beautiful thing. And that's what he's trying to bring out. The fear of the Lord leads to life. And he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. Verse 24, we hit upon this a little bit last week. And in Proverbs 26, he's going to repeat verbatim this this verse and several others after it about laziness. So we'll really hit laziness uh, in chapter 26, but this is kind of funny. A lazy man buries his hand in the bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth again. It's pretty extreme, you know, Uh, and, and, and maybe you know somebody like that. You know, they're like, yep. That's Bob, or you know, sorry if your name's Bob. I don't know why I pick on Bob so much. It's an easy name. Um, but uh, two things I wanted to say about this, uh, and one of them I'm not sure. 
<laughs> you know where that goes, so I always end up sharing, and I'm just building up the courage to do it. <laughs> Guys, yeah, we live in the bowl in America. We live in the bowl. We are surrounded by opportunities and, and availability and, 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 and opportunity. It's just there. We live in the bowl. The rest of the world would love to have what we have. And yet we still have folks that sit around and say, I don't know how I'm going to eat. How can you say that? And I know this is hard to hear for some people that have bought into that mindset because this is all they've known. You sit in the bowl and you see other people doing really well and you see other people not doing really well. And it's easy for you to just think about that. How come I don't get what they have over there? You're in the same bowl that they're in. There's the same opportunities that they have. You have the same whatever. And that there's just this, what's the difference? They didn't look for an excuse to quit. They didn't look for an excuse to stop. They looked for ways around it. They improvised, they adapted, they overcame, and they continued and pressed on, you see. Now, why is this important? Because spiritually speaking, regardless of financial gain, we live in the bowl compared to the rest of the world that cannot start a business. In fact, if you look at the spectrum of the world, you've got countries that when you're born say you're going to be this and this is what you're going to be. At six months, plumber, electrician, can you imagine? We can't even fathom that. Your destiny is secured. We've told you, we've marked you, this is what you will do. And move that, and, and, and everywhere in between of that spectrum, all the way till you get to where we are, where, good luck, I don't know what you're going to be. You better figure it out. You have complete autonomy. You can do whatever you want to do or don't do. That's up to you. Your successes or failures are dependent upon whether your feet hit the ground and get out of bed or not. And that's a huge, oh, I just, and some people would love to be, just tell me to be an electrician. I don't know what to do with my life, you know. It's different. It's different. Now, spiritually speaking, if you don't have that mindset, see, this is how I know that we're right in America. It's not the greatest country. It absolutely is the greatest country on the face of the earth. There isn't even a close second to our country. And I'm not saying that because I'm just Joe Patriot or whatever. It's biblical. Your walk with Jesus, my walk with Jesus is dependent upon whether my feet hit the ground and I do what I'm supposed to do. This Bible doesn't open itself. It doesn't zip into my face and into my eyes. I don't. Sh- the church doesn't show up in my bedroom. And I'm talking to the choir here, obviously. We have to engage with God. We have to do or don't. God will never make you have a relationship with him. He never forces his love upon you to where you experience it and give it back. None of that. That's how I know our country is on the right track because it applies that same principle that's biblical to our world, to our everyday. We have to be workers. We have to be diligent doers of the word of God or we'll never reap the benefits of the word of God. Knowing it is different than doing it, you see? So, a lazy man buries his hand in the bowl and will not so much as bring it to his mouth. Guys, we have Bibles on every coffee table in America, almost. 
It's hard to find a home that doesn't have one in it. And yet the wisdom in it, all wisdom, God's wisdom, the mind of Christ sitting on the coffee table never gets absorbed by the people living in the house. They never take it on. Look at the book's clear over there. It's like a man putting his hand into the bowl and not bringing it back to his mouth. So important to ingest and eat and devour and let it affect every area of your life. Verse 25. Strike a scoffer, and the simple will become wary. Rebuke one who has understanding, and he will discern knowledge. You got all sorts of people there. You've got the scoffer, who's a closed-minded person. You've got the simple, they're an empty-minded person. And you've got the understanding, they're the open-minded person. Three different minds. Sometimes when you strike a scoffer, they probably won't learn themselves, but the simple that are watching them will be shocked into obedience. Oh, there's punishment for that, you know. We have a part of our, well, not a part, our justice system is sort of designed that way. Yes, we do want to be punitive to the person, but we're also hoping there's a little bit of a deterrent mixed in with that. Now, there are hardcore people that say, you know, on the other side that say, you know, none of these things are going to work. You're never going to stop crime. You're never, I don't know that we don't know how many times as we've knocked the scoffer down, put it, give him a life sentence or a death sentence, that we haven't stopped a lot of simple-minded people from doing the same. They may have learned and we just, you don't have, you don't have data for that because it never happened. So there's a there's a, a really good wisdom here. When you when you do punish the scoffer, the scoffer may not learn, or scoffers of the like may not learn or stop. But you may have stopped a lot of simple people from going that way. And that's one of the proverbs. That's what this is speaking of. Strike the scoffer, and the simple will become wary. Rebuke one now who has an open understanding, and he will discern knowledge. Some people. They learn the first time, don't they? You know, that good kid who says, I'm going to go out and do this. And all of a sudden, something, you know, they do something naughty and they get caught. They will never do that again. I, I have an incident. I have many incidents. But one of them that I learned from was, I, I think we were, I don't know where I was going. I was with JC, I think, at the time. I was taking our white minivan, if you remember that. Gee whiz, that was a day and a half ago. And we were driving and I hadn't done my tags. You know, I hadn't done my license plate. Because, I mean, who checks license plates? I mean, is that really the main crime of the world? Yep, I got pulled over and got a ticket for it for not getting my stickers on. You know, at the time, you know, 55 bucks, we were searching the cushions of the couch, you know, trying to find coins. How are we going to pay this kind of thing? So I put it off as long as possible. I put it off too long. Never not paid my tag since that moment, you know. So I, 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 I count myself with the understanding. I get it. I get it. You guys do check the color of the sticker. I will never let this happen again, you know. Uh, we want to be those people. I don't mind, and, and God doesn't mind rebuking someone who has understanding. That's a delight. It's a delight to teach a kid who has understanding. I get it. I got caught when I grew up, though, without Christ, that was my concern. And you'll hear that from those who get busted all the time. How come it's always me? Why am I always the one who gets caught? What about them? They don't have understanding. So I had very watchful parents. That was my problem. 
I had parents that cared. I had parents that looked out. I had, I had a community in Sioux City, Iowa that actually did something about crime. That was my problem. I wish I'd lived in one of those inner cities where they don't care about anything or anybody and parents aren't watching their kids most of the time. You see the difference? Obviously. I got busted because I had people in my life that cared. Look, as a Christian, why'd you get caught? Why did it happen to you? Because you have a father in heaven who's very watchful and wants you to do better. He knows you have understanding and that you'll learn your lesson and you're not going to do it anymore for your benefit and for the benefit of others. It's a wonderful thing. We shouldn't complain about being caught. We should thank God. That's how we know we're his sons and daughters. He doesn't spank those that aren't his. He only spanks his own kids. And that's how we know him. So, verse 26. He who mistreats his father and chases away his mother, is a son who causes shame and brings reproach. You may not notice it, and people may not tell you to your face, but you look foolish when you treat your parents poorly, when you're disobedient to them, when you're mouthy, when you're arrogant, or, or in these extreme circumstances, you actually mistreat your father or chase away. When you're that kind of abusive child towards your parents, you bear that reproach. And the world sees it. Now, they may not be telling you, but you do. So it it rests upon you, and people can see it, whether you can or not. Um, Verse 27. Cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. It builds. It builds upon itself. This is the verse I was talking about. Solomon doesn't take his own advice right here. When you cease, when you stop listening to instruction, you move away from knowledge. See, the wise person is wise because they listened once and they got the wisdom. And now a wise person from that last wisdom will try to get more understanding and build that wisdom. You know, it'll keep coming. They know that, you know. But the person that walks away from that, I mean, I'm tired of listening to that. I'm tired of doing that. I'm tired of whatever. It, it, It degrades. Your wisdom goes away. You begin to take on things that aren't wise from this world, things that are contrary, seem good, smell good, taste good, you know, bright and shiny things. But they move you away from the wisdom of God. And be careful about that. It takes maintenance, it takes diligence, it takes perseverance. Verse 28, a disreputable witness scorns justice and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. I'll say something else that's a little controversial, but why not? I think punishing perjury should be as punished as strongly and as harshly as murder, in my opinion. Our whole justice system depends upon truthful witnesses. That's what killed Christ, is untruthful witnesses, those who were lying. And because their perjury was never punished, they caused, the Christ, caused Jesus to die on the cross. I think it's very important to have perjury Um, You know, when we hear that in the news, because it's so often now, especially in our government and people that have been caught, and (sighs) perjury needs to be punished. Whether we, I don't care whose side it's on, every bit of perjury needs to be punished. It can't be let go. Because we think of it as like a secondary, it's like a white lie versus a real, you know, deadly one, a black lie. I don't know what the difference is, but perjury is very, very important to punish. Um, it's one of the Ten Commandments, and we don't call it that. We call it lying, you know. You're not supposed to lie. 
Um, but it's very important. I, I, I guess I can't put enough emphasis on it. It's the reason many innocent people go to prison. It's also the reason many guilty people don't go to prison. It's because of that perjury, because someone's willing to lie for the other. So don't perjure yourself. Don't perjure yourself. There's a reason that you put your hand on a Bible in a court. I swear to God I'm not going to lie right now is what you're saying. I swear on the Bible that I'm not going to lie. It's that big of a deal. And it shouldn't be just in court. It should be every single day of our lives. I swear I will not lie today. I'm not going to perjure myself. Guard yourself from that. It's easy to make that a lesser sin or a almost forgivable without any consequences sin, and it's not. It's very important. A disreputable witness scorns justice, and the mouth of the wicked devours iniquity. Verse 29, our final verse for this morning, and then we'll close. Judgments are prepared for scoffers and beatings for the backs of fools. Um, A scoffer is someone who rejects wisdom with hostility. And a fool is someone who rejects wisdom with impunity. You know, whatever. There are judgments prepared for that. Prepared for that. It's, It's automatic. It's coming, you know, whether we receive it in this life or, the, or, or, or at the great white throne judgment, if you're an unbeliever, there are judgments prepared for these two things, scoffers and, and fools. Then he tells his son that because don't be surprised when you're judged for these things, when, when, you know, these punishments come, when these blows, when these beatings come. You sat in church, you heard the word of God. You were clearly warned last Sunday. He gave it to you. It even jumped off the page. You remember it above all other parts of the sermon. And yet that week when the crossroads came to you, that fork in the road, you chose sin. And you ended up with a beating that you never thought you'd get. You know? We are clearly warned. There isn't a time when the Holy Spirit does not give us a warning ahead of the opportunity to sin. He always does. He's a faithful person. If not weeks before, if not a week before, if not days before, the very moment you'll hear, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit saying, don't do that. Stop. Go the other way. And so often we let, we let the momentum of the moment carry us into sin. Be careful. Be watchful. When I hear warnings in Scripture, when I'm studying for you people to give out a message on a Sunday or a Wednesday, I've got things circled in here, and it's like, oh boy, that's for me, and I watch for it. I've done this long enough. I fully expect this opportunity to come up within days of me reading this, and sure enough, I'm like, oh, there it is. And it's so joyful to me when I'm like, I see you, Satan. You know, I see you, sin, waiting at the door for me, not even going near it. I didn't even get close to it. I just cut across the grass, you know, (laughs) leave the fork over there. I don't come up to the fork and I'm in the valley of decision. No, I'm not. Trust God's word. Trust his warning in your life. Trust it. Let's pray. Lord, we love you for your wisdom that you give to us so freely, so available. In fact, in your word, you say, if anybody lacks wisdom, we just ask and you'll, you'll give it to us. Abundant wisdom if we ask for it, God. Lord, we want that. 
we want to be wise children of yours. We want to represent you well. And, uh, but for, for our sake as well, God, we want to walk um, worthy of this calling, worthy of this salvation. We want to look like your son. We want to be like Jesus. So God, this morning we collectively ask for more wisdom, not only from this morning's teaching, but always in our quiet times that we have and in, in our prayer time, God, we pray for wisdom in every situation that we're going to run into this week. We need your wisdom. We're praying ahead of time for your guidance and your hand in our life. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer before you go, please come up. Glad to pray with you. Otherwise, have a good rest of the week.